listen, if you are just stepping in or if you're just checking in uh, online, I want to welcome you to LifePoint. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, turn to uh, Judges chapter 6, Judges, the book of Judges in the Old Testament, chapter 6, verse 1. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. As, we, uh, as you're doing that and we, as we get into the message, I want to tell you uh, uh, about a movie that I watched years ago, I don't even remember how long it's been, called 300. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was one of those movies, I didn't know it at the time, I started watching it, and it was extremely violent. Like, there was a ton of blood, there's a ton of, like, a little bit kind of like Gladiator, Braveheart, but like the next level. Like, I'm watching this thing, and there's like stabbing and beheading, you know, and there's just like, like, whoa, okay, this is not something that I want to see. And so if you don't want, I definitely don't recommend the movie if you don't like violent movies. But it was actually based on a true story. It was a remake of a 1962 movie called The 300 Spartans. And um, it was about a man named Leonidas, based on a true story. This guy, Leonidas, was a Spartan king. He was leading uh, a small, tiny little army of Greek soldiers. And they had about 300 of soldiers. And they went, uh, went against the Persian Empire. And so, like, this is a just crazy story, even though the Persian Empire was 20 times larger, even though they were outnumbered by thousands, literally thousands of soldiers, they fearlessly and courageously managed to wipe out wave after wave of uh, Persian soldiers. And for three days, the, these 300 soldiers, they placed themselves in this strategic mountain pass. There was a little, sort of like a highway and there was a, essentially a narrow passage where the Persians would have to go through. And so they were there for three days hoping to get reinforcement. Uh, reinforcement. And for three days, those 300 Spartans had held the enormous Persian Empire in one of the greatest, most epic battles in all of history. The reason why I tell you that is because today we're going to be looking at a battle. Uh, we're going to look at another heroic battle. It's what I like to call the original 300, and it's found in the book of Judges, chapter 6. In fact, the title of the message is Overcoming the Battle of Self-Doubt. Overcoming the Battle of Self-Doubt. And what you're going to see is that the main character in our story today is dealing with self-doubt, lack of confidence in himself and the Lord and so Judges chapter 6, it is. Now, let me, let me give you a little bit of context just so that you um, kind of know what's happening, okay? So it's, it's really good to, to see things from, like, the, the Israelites' perspective, okay, the God's people. So we're in the book of Judges. They have, they have seen Moses at work. They have seen the miracles. Remember, the Israelites were under the bondage of the Egyptians, and God used Moses to deliver them prior to that. I mean, they, was, they saw one miracle after the next. Then you have Moses dies, and then you have uh, Joshua. Joshua was a great leader. He was a military leader. He was a strong leader, a man of character. And so he led the Israelites to the promised land. Now they're no longer slaves. Big deal, right? Like the promise had, had come to fruition. This was amazing. You get to the book of Judges, and all of a sudden, you don't have Moses, and you don't have Joshua anymore. This was after the death of Joshua. And the Israelites, this is a whole new generation of people. Now, you've got, you've got to get this to understand this passage today. 
a brand new generation, the miracles of Moses, the miracles of Joshua were a thing of the past. They were history. And now they're going to fall into this, um, I guess it, it's just this trap, this cycle of, of, un, of just like where they, they would serve God for some time and then they would fall and end up sinning. And then, they'd, you know, like the, it just like crazy things would happen. And they're just in this cycle where they repent and they ask God for deliverance and God would raise up a deliverer. But it's, it's, it's not really a, it's not a cycle that you and I would want to find ourselves in, okay? Because they're, they're living victorious one day. They're falling into sin another. They're, you know, falling into idolatry. Then there comes a nation and, you know, basically takes over them. And then they, they're, you know, they're miserable. They're struggling. Essentially, they ask God for forgiveness, look up to the Lord. And then the cycle just, you know, God delivers them and the cycle continues, okay? It's a cycle of unfaithfulness. Now, I don't want us to judge them too harshly. Because it's easy to look at the Bible, right? And it's like, look at those people, you know, how could they? Because the truth is, a lot of times when we look at God's Word, we look at it as if it's history. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to be looking at the story in Judges, you know, chapter 6. And so today, I want you to look at this story through the filter of, of what you're going through. Okay? So you've, this, is, this is, in order for us to have a great, for, for this service to go great, it takes as much energy from me as it is for you. You've got to put something into this. And what I'm asking you to put into this message is in your mind, I want you to think actively of how this relates to your life and not like a history lesson. Because if you leave today saying, oh, we study the book of Judges, that's great, but you're going to fall flat. I think you're going to be way better off if you leave today saying, you know what? I feel like God was speaking to me because of this circumstance that I'm, I was going through, what I, that I'm going through right now. Okay, so Judges chapter 6, verse 1, before we even look at the first verse, I want to say this. If you've ever questioned yourself about an important decision that you've had to make, or a decision that you already made, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I should have done that. If you have ever suffered from what a friend of mine calls the imposter syndrome. You guys know what that is? The imposter syndrome? That is what... Basically, what you think or what you feel when, or it's the fear that you have when you're at a particular job and you've been there for a while and you don't know if you're doing what you're supposed to, like you don't know, like you have the fear of being found out, all right? And I don't know if you've ever, ever had that, the imposter syndrome. Like it, it's for me, I'll tell you how this relates to me, like, like going through this pandemic and, you know, I've been leading the church, and you may hear me on Sunday mornings. I'm full of faith, full of confidence, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have never doubted myself as a pastor more than this time. Like, Lord, I don't know. I have no idea how to lead a church through a pandemic. And, and, and there's so many questions and so many fears and so many struggles. And so the imposter syndrome basically says it's the fear that, man, they're going to find out. And I don't have a clue how to lead a church through a pandemic. If you've ever questioned yourself in that way, if you've ever felt like, I'm not enough, or you, you have insecurity issues, or I'm not talented enough, God is asking me to do this, God is asking me to lead in a particular, I don't have the time, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the capabilities, I don't have the strength. If you've ever asked those questions, 
then I believe that this message is for you today. Now, my wife said earlier, don't say if, say when, because all of us go through that. You know, all of us, at one point or another, we ask ourselves, Lord, I just don't think I'm enough. I've given it my best shot, and I still feel like a failure. I still feel like I've, I just, I gave it all I had, but it just, it didn't, it wasn't enough. So verse 1 says this, Judges chapter 6, verse 1, the Israelites, these, these are God people, did, what's the next word? Evil in the Lord's sight. Kind of, that's a, that's a rough, that's a, this is a kind of rough verse to get started with. They did, God's people, they had delivered them, they had seen the miracles, what happened? They did evil in the Lord's sight. One thing that I wrote down on my notes is this, disobedience always attracts, disobedience always attracts destruction. Say that with me, disobedience attracts, say it with me, disobedience always attracts. Let's say it one more time, disobedience always attracts. What does it attract? It attracts destruction. Obedience also attracts, it attracts blessing, protect God's protection. So what you, what you see, what you're going to see, you're getting ready to see, is that disobedience attracts destruction, destruction attracts oppression, oppression attracts fear, and with fear come a bunch of things. Discouragement, stress, the blessing of God is removed. So the Israelites, God's people, had forgotten the Lord, and they did evil in His sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites are the enemy. Now, this is another, like, this is, you read verse one, and, like, you could, you ask, why? Like, how could he? I mean, I thought my God was a forgiven God. I thought he was a gracious Father. I thought he was merciful, full of mercy. I mean, why would he, says the Lord, handed them over to the enemy for seven years? It doesn't seem like that's, like, God doing that. Like, what in the world? Now, in order for you to understand this passage, you have to understand that word, handed them, like to hand over. And in, in the Hebrew, what that word means, you want to know what that means? The literal definition of that word means to hand over. It's like, okay, I don't get it. What God is saying is your sin has consequences. Now, a lot of times when we sin, when we get off track, we blame God. You know, we blame others when we shouldn't. And kind of like this, let me illustrate it for you. Imagine that you're on a commercial flight, and this, this airplane, you know, it's not even going in the opposite direction. It's going, it's going where you, where you, you know, where you want to go, but th this flight is off by one degree. They're heading in the right direction, but they're, they're off track. Just one little degree. Did you know that if you travel for one hour, you would be 60 miles away from your desired destination? Just by being off track, you, I mean, you're, you, you know, it's taking off the right way, everything is safe, it's heading the right direction, but they're off just a little bit. Did you know that if you travel for, for 60 minutes, you would be 60 miles away from your desired destination? And that's what happens to all of us when we get off track, it's a little bit, and we excuse our behavior. We don't, you know, in fact, this is such a big deal that when Jesus comes into the scene, when Jesus 
leaves his throne, he comes to earth, and he's got a message for humanity. He says, remember what? He's, the thing that kicked everything off, like the message serious that Jesus used to kick things off, do you know what it was? Begin with the word repent. It says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And essentially what he's saying is readjust. Because even if you're one degree off, eventually it's going to take you to a place where you don't want to be. And that's what happened to the Israelites. It was one step at a time, one little bit, one day at a time, one excuse at a time. And now they're, they're paying for it. Look in verse 2. The Midianites were so cruel, that the, the enemy, they were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east, they would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. And they left Israelites with nothing to eat. This was brutal. Taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the donkeys, all of it. Now we're talking about self-doubt today. A lot of times in life there are things that sometimes we don't label them as they should be labeled. Like discouragement, for example. Do you know discouragement is actually a sin in the Bible? The, the, you know, self-doubt is another. You know, like you, there are things in our life that we think, well, that's just the way I am. And God wants you to call it for what it is. And so what self-doubt in your life, what it will do is what the Midianites are doing to the Israelites. It infiltrates every area of your life. See, self-doubt doesn't just affect your kids or affects the way you deal with your kids or it doesn't just affect your work, um, you know, the way you deal with work or, you know, your family. Self-doubt infiltrates, it covers, it floods everything, your mind, your heart, every area of your life. Now, when I just say self-doubt, it seems like a minor thing, right? Like we all ask questions. We all, you know, make decisions and then we wonder if, like, you know, was that the right decision? Self-doubt does what the medianists are doing, steals our joy, prevents us from accomplishing everything that God has set out for us to do. Self-doubt whispers the loudest you can't. And it's just a whisper. It's not bold. It's not, it's not like in your face. Just a little whisper. You're not, you're not enough. You can't do it. Look at your past. It's just a little whisper out there. But those little whispers are the loudest in our lives. Now look at what it says in verse 6. The Midianites, you're taking over, just like self-doubt takes over in our minds and hearts. It says the Midianites so impoverished the Israelites. The Israelites, I mean, they were so powerful when they left the, the Egyptians. They were, I mean, two million people. They, were, they left with the God's blessing behind them. They left with God's miracles supporting them. And it says they impoverished the Israelites so much that they, they, they were, I mean, they were starving. They didn't know what to do. And they eventually cried out to the Lord for help. Let me encourage you, don't let it get that bad in your life. Don't, don't go off track so far that you look back and you say, man, where did I lose it? And so my challenge to you is to get back on track, to readjust. That's what repentance is. Say, Lord, man, I blew it. It takes a little bit of humility to say that, to, to own that. We talked about that last week. 
So they say, Lord, we need, like, we, 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 we can't do this on our own. Verse 7, the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. Verse 8, he, God, sent them a prophet. Now, you know who the prophet is? Prophet is Gideon. Now, Gideon, when you look at him, he's, he's one of those characters that is full of doubts. Like, he is, he's got so many doubts in his life. God comes to him in verse 14 and says, Gideon, I want you to save the nation of Israel. I want you to save them out of the hands of the Midianites. It wasn't as big of a deal as like when he came to Moses, okay? The Egyptians were a, lot, a whole lot more powerful. But still, I mean, Gideon had an army of 32,000. The, the Malachites and the Midianites and the people of the least, they, they, were a, they were a super, I mean, they were powerful people. And so Gideon is like, are you kidding me? It's like God saying to you, look, 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 I want you to take this nation against another, into war against another superpower. What would you do? What would you do if somebody comes, if God comes to you and says, you are it. You're the one, you're supposed to lead this nation. And it's not, that doesn't even relate because we are like, I mean, we, our military strength as a, as a nation is crazy good. I mean, in comparison to, to the rest of the world. So God is looking at Gideon and says, yeah, I want you to take your little, little bitty army with the little resources that you have against this massive army. And Gideon goes, nope, not me, God. I don't have what it takes. I'm not capable. Look in verse 15. Watch what he says. This is exactly what we would say. But Lord, Gideon replied, how what? How can I, did you see the, where the emphasis is? How can I rescue Israel? Well, you're not going to rescue anybody. You, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you, but you're not the one that's going to do it, Gideon. He says, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. His eyes are on himself. And I am the least in my entire family. It's all about, I can't do it. I don't, I don't have what it takes. I am not enough. I can't do this. Have you ever said that? I know I have. Poof, many a times. Tons of times I said, Lord, I can't do this. I don't do it. I don't have what it takes. And Gideon is saying, I don't, I don't have financially, I don't have the means to put a, an army together. I don't have the ability to pull this off. I'm the least in my father's house militarily. Like, I don't have the military experience. I'm inferior. I'm the youngest. I'm, I'm fearful. I'm faithless. It's full of self-doubt. It's like, there's no way, God. Have you ever been there? Where you, you're facing this army in your life, and you're like, there's not a chance. It's David and Goliath. And then Gideon is going to do something that I think we, we all do. He's going to come up to God and he's going to say, Lord, um, okay, if this is your will, God, if, if, if this is, if, you, if you're really talking to me, would you show me a sign? Would you kind of like write it in the cloud somehow? Would you just kind of like, you know, God, if this is your will, would you make that car in front of me like, go right instead of going left you know and then the car goes left and it's like yeah i knew it you know and it's like god would you would you somehow make it personal would you prove it to me somehow right am i the only one that prays those prayers like we all pray that right like we all say like oh lord i, I think you talk to me but i don't know just want to make sure that it's really you 
and God is speaking to you, he's used a message, he may have used a song, he may have used a person, a circumstance, and you know in your heart, this is what God has said. This is what, it lines up with this word. This is what he wants me to do. And you just ignore it for a little while or you kind of, you know, turn the other way and you just wait and God reminds you again. And it's like, it's like that nagging feeling, that nagging, like you just don't, you're, you just, God keeps reminding you and you keep ignoring him. And Gideon gets to the point where he's like, okay, Lord, just prove it to me. Now, Gideon, he's had a one-on-one conversation with God. Like, what more proof do you need, Right? Like, if, if God comes, right, like right here, and he says, I want, Mark, I want you to do this for me. And, like, he's here physically, and he talks to you. And they're like, oh, man, that changes things. That's not Pastor Alex anyway, anymore. Like, that's God himself, like, tell, talking to me. That, this was a one-on-one conversation that he's having. Now, you and I have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is supposed to lead us and guide us. Gideon didn't have the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the second half of the Bible. We have the second half of the Bible. And so God speaks to us, and yet we're just like Gideon who said, "Eh, not enough. Could you prove it to me, Lord? Could you give me a little more? Look what he says, verse 36, 636. Then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me, again, the emphasis is in the wrong person. You're going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised. Prove it to me. God's got to be, our God's got to be so good. Think about that. Like if I was God, I'd be like, have I not done enough to show you? Have I not? And, And this is something that I think it's important for us to do. Like I want you to go back sometime this week, spend some time alone with God, and write down all of the miracles. Write down all the stories. Or just a few. Spend 30 minutes just writing down the the times that God has delivered you from a a particular situation. The times that he's provided for you. The times where he has shown you. And you look back. You can look back now because you have a little bit of perspective. And you can say, yeah, that was you, God, because I had no idea what I I was doing. And Gideon goes, you know, just, just one more time, God. He says, you're truly going to use me, God. Prove it to me. And I will put some wool on the threshing floor tonight. It says, if the fleece is wet with the dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue the Israel as you promised. So basically he gets something like this, probably not exactly like this, but it's some sort of fleece, right, made of wool. And he says, and this is sort of a kind of a weird request, right? Isn't that weird? How many of you have ever prayed, okay, God, I want this thing Dude, I'm going to throw it in my yard tomorrow morning. I, I'm trying to get a sign from you. And I want you, like tomorrow morning, I want this thing to be wet from the dew, right? And then, but the, the ground around it, I want it to be dry. And then if you, if you do that, God, then I'll know for a fact that it's your, it's your will for my life. You know, it's kind of a weird request. Have you, any of you guys ever done that? If you have, don't raise your hand, Okay. <laughs> I've never, but, but what we say, it may be different, but what we say is basically the same thing. God, write it, write it in the, the sky. You ever pray that prayer? I prayed it. <laughs> well, that's dumb, you know? And I can only say that because I've done it, okay? So don't look at me with those ugly faces, okay? Uh, I, it's okay. We all ask those, we all ask those questions that are sometimes a little bit weird. And God, in His grace and in His mercy, 
He says, you know what? Go for it. Bible says the next morning, he gets up really early, runs to see, and sure enough, the fleas was soaked. It was so wet that when he squeezed it, when we basically, the Bible says he wrung out a, a bowl full of water, and yet the, the ground around it was totally dry. Now, was that enough for him? Nope. It wasn't enough. And it's a reminder that in my life, after all the miracles that I've seen him do in my life, it just seems like it's never enough. It seems like I always want him to prove himself a little bit more. And he says, Lord, I don't know. I don't know. Like, maybe I pray the wrong prayer. Maybe, I, maybe Lord, maybe I gave you the wrong challenge. Maybe it's just coincidence. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's just like there's something like some physics into it, like where you put, if you put a, a fleece on the, on, the, on the floor, like from the dew, like the next morning, you know, all that water is going to be soaked up and then the, around it is going to be dry. Maybe it's just something that I don't know about physics. I, I don't know. And so God, in his grace... You know, when Gideon comes to him a second time and says, God, would you please don't get angry at me, but would you please, could you do it one more in time, but this time make sure that the fleece is dried and the ground around it is wet. And God in his love and his mercy says, okay. Next morning he gets up, he runs to it, and sure enough, the fleece was dried, the ground around it was totally wet, and he says, okay, I give up, Lord. I surrender. And so this is what happens in the story. God, or Gideon, I should say, takes the army up to a hill. So the Midianites were behind that hill. They were in the valley. He takes them up the hill right behind it so they couldn't see him. And basically, he, um, you know, Gideon thinks that he's, God is done with him. Gideon thinks, okay, you know, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do my thing. And God is just getting started. And God looks at him, he looks at his army, 32,000, and he says, you know what, you, got, you have too many. You know the story. Gideon comes up to them and he says, hey, if, you, if you're afraid, or if, if, you know, these are soldiers, right? If, you, if, you, if, you don't want, you know, if you're fearful, you can go home. And you know how many went home, right? How many went home? 10,000. So you, you already have a tiny army of 32,000, and your people are supposed to be backing you up. They're supposed to be protecting the nation. I mean, these are soldiers. They leave, and they're right there. I mean, like, you can see the Midianites, and they're by the thousands. The Bible says, if you read the passage, that they couldn't even, they had so many people, they couldn't even count the number of camels that they had. That's how many, that's how big, it wasn't just one army, it was the Midianites, it was the Amalekites, it was the people of the east. All of them have come together to fight the Israelites. And they're a massive, that's why I call this the original 300. This is, I mean, you know, the, the 300 Spartans, that's, that's nothing in comparison to what you have here. And so if this guy, I mean, if he was dealing with self-doubt before, he, like now he's scarred for life, you know? Like this is not going to help his self-confidence, right? Well, God has a little little something-something to, uh, to show him where his confidence needs to come from. And so he's left with 22,000. He says, I want you to take them. Uh, and command them to go get some water by the stream. He takes all of his people, and they, you know, they begin to drink water. Some of them drank water straight from the stream. Some of them would 
you know, scoop the water in their hands and just bring it up to their face and to their mouth. And God says, there's about 300 that actually do it like that. They put their, their water in their hands and bring it up to their mouth. And God says, those are the ones that I'm going to use. Now, you may be wondering, why, why would God only use those 300, not the, not the rest? I mean, what's the point in, in this story? A friend of mine told me that the reason why is if you were a soldier and, and you know, like you were fighting for your country in that day and age, you had to be ready at all times. And they may have not been actively like in the battle at that point, but it was close enough to where you have to keep your guard up the whole time. And so those 300 people, when they were bringing the water up to their mouth, essentially what they were doing is they were looking out to make sure nobody else was going to come out of nowhere and attack them. And what this story is teaching me is that God uses people who are, all, who are ready for the fight. They don't wait until the fight to fight it. They, they are ready. And so, I, man, I applaud you. for if you're, if you're following us online, if you're listening to this message, if you're here in person, I applaud you because what you're, you're, what you're doing is you're not going through a battle right now. What you're doing is you're, you're, you're one of those soldiers who's bringing the water up to your mouth, but you're still looking out. Because the enemy is like a, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And at any point, he may jump out of nowhere and attack. And so God says, you know what? I don't need all of these people. I'm going to use the ones that are ready for battle. Plus, it's not up to them to win the battle. It's up to me. And watch what happens. I love, I love this. They look in chapter 7, verse 22. Let me tell you real quick. I'm jumping around a little bit just so that we can get to the end of the story. So all of those pe- soldiers left. They left three things behind. They left trumpets. They left a bunch of jars of clays. They left um, torches, okay, hundreds of torches. And so Gideon says to them, I want you to, I'm going to split you up. Again, it's 300 against thousands and thousands of people. And he says, I want you to grab those torches. I want you to grab those jars of clay and uh, the trumpets. And on my command, around 10 p.m., I want you to break those jars. I want you to blow those trumpets. I want you to light those torches. And sure enough, around 10 p.m., he gives the command that he splits them up. Okay, they're coming from, from the top of the hill coming down to where the meteorites are and they begin to blow the trumpets and they're, they're, they're crashing there they're breaking all of these jars of clay and the Midianites they thought that behind each, each one of those lights there were hundreds and thousands of soldiers and so this the whole thing creates a bunch of confusion and chaos and the Bible says in Judges 7.22 it says when the 300 blew the trumpets the Lord, watch this, I love, I love how detailed God's word is. The Lord caused the Midianites to turn their swords on each other as they ran for their lives. And what I love about this story is that God used a man who was full of self-doubts. And he can use you with all the questions, with all of the unknowns. He can use you as much as he can see used Gideon. And so as we come to the end of the message, I'm going to ask our worship team to get on 
on stage. I have three takeaways for you. First one is this. Your self-doubts do not diminish the sovereignty of our God. Did you know that? Uh, this is such good news. Your self-doubts do not diminish the sovereignty of our God. When you, you know, when you, when you're full of self-doubt, essentially what you're doing is you're trusting, you're not putting your trust in God, right? You're, you're saying your plans, your purpose for me, you know, it's not enough. I'm going to do my own thing. The good news is that his sovereignty does not depend on your behavior. His sovereignty does not depend on your faith. Does that make sense? It's like the law of gravity. I, I may choose to, to believe in the law of gravity, or I may choose not to, right? But if I throw this thing up in the air, it's going to fall back down, right? It's not, I'm not going to throw this thing and it's just going to float, all, you know, like, like you may choose to believe in the law of gravity, or you may not, but this thing is going to fall down as soon as I let go of it. In the same way it is in your life. You may choose to believe in the God that leads you and that loves you and who's full of grace. Or you may choose to give in to self-doubt. Regardless, His sovereignty doesn't change. His power is not diminished. His greatness doesn't go, oh, you know what? I feel, I feel less than. No, 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 no. Your self-doubts do not diminish the sovereignty of our God. Second thing is your self-doubts do not determine your potential. You know that? God uses Gideon even though he said, I can't, I won't, I'm not able to, I don't have the time, I'm not capable, I don't have the resources. I'm the youngest. I'm the, the one that has the, the least experience. You picked the wrong guy. And I want to speak, I want to speak life into you right now. The baggage of yesterday. The mistakes of the past do not have to dictate the potential of tomorrow. You hear me? Let me say it again. Whether you're watching online, whether you're listening to this message, three weeks later, the baggage, because here's what happens. We allow the mistakes of the past to be those whispers. We allow the, the screw-ups of the past to speak into our hearts and we give in to self-doubts because of prior mistakes so let me let me if you would allow me let me speak words of affirmation and life to you the baggage of yesterday the mistakes of the past do not dictate the potential of tomorrow i didn't say this didn't read this verse earlier on purpose judges 6 12 at the very beginning of the story before anything took place, before the battle, before any of this, the Bible says that when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, God sent an angel to speak to him. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. Look at, look at it on the screen. The Lord is with you, what? You mighty warrior. I love this story because up to this point, Gideon hadn't done anything to deserve that title. I mean, what a... What? I love how our God is. God looks at you, and in, in all of your fear, in all of your questions, says, you mighty warrior. You know what Gideon was doing before all of this happened? If you look right before it, 
Can we put the next slide up? Gideon was threshing wheat by the wine press. Before the angel of the Lord came to him, he was, he was threshing wheat by the wine press to hide from the Midianites. Kind of a funny greeting for the angel of the Lord to say, Come on, you mighty, you know, warrior, soldier, whatever. He was, what was he doing? He was threshing wheat by the wine press. You never thresh wheat in a wine press. All right? You crush grapes in a wine press. The wine press usually is at the bottom of the hill. Wheat is always threshed at the top of the hill. Why? Because it's windy when you throw up the chaff. The wind takes it. The wheat falls. That's how you do it. Gideon is hiding behind closed doors in the middle of nowhere in the wrong place at the wrong time and God in all of his grace says I believe in you I know we say it a lot the best is yet to come I know you don't believe it I don't I know you don't see a future in this in the middle of this chaos I know you have questions I know there's a lot of self-doubt but I'm greater than your self-doubts, and I don't need you to approve of those things. Clearly, when you read this story, yeah, full of, I mean, he was fearful, faithless, young, inexperienced. And God says, I see you not as who you've been or who you are, but I see you as who you can be. I see the potential in you. Your self-doubts do not determine your potential. Your self-doubts do not diminish my sovereignty. And last he says, and I love this. I've shared this with you before. Nothing new, but it's a good reminder. You plus God are always the majority. I don't know where you're at today, but you plus God are always the majority. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care if it's COVID. I don't care if it's a government you know, the direction of our country. I don't care if it's betrayal. I don't care if it's divorce. I don't care if it's sickness. I don't care if it's your boss. I don't care if it's the unknown. I don't care the doubts and the difficulties that you're dealing with. I am enough for you. And if you just hold on for a little longer, I will show you once again the miracle. You know, Jesus said, Jesus said, upon this rock, rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know that verse, right? Upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock is Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. We've sing that song. The church, that's you and I. It's not a building. That's not the church. It's, it's people. We, we are the church. Jesus says, he says, Right before he left us, right? The disciples thought it was the end. The disciples thought that the death had conquered. And Jesus looked at them and he said, and he looks at you and he's saying you to you today, upon this rock, the rock of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, I will build you. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You plus God always, always a majority. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if nothing else, I just want to encourage you today 
The Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment will be condemned. This is the heritage of those who belong to the Lord. Their, their righteousness is from me. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say if God is for us? Who can be against us? In all things, you're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So my question for you today is, do you believe that? Or are you going to give in to self-doubt? God, I pray that there would be Gideons inside of us that would just rise up for the occasion, God. I pray that, yes, full of doubt and, and full of fear and with all of our lack of faith and all of our questions, God, I pray that we would just fully surrender and that we would not blame you, God. It's not your fault. Our sins, there are sins. We should be owning those. When we, when we mess up, you give us the opportunity to confess and to readjust. But there are times when we let go and we're all going off track, just one degree. It's not far. But over a period of time, we find ourselves so far and in so much trouble. But it's never the end because we can always come back to you. Yes, we will suffer the consequences. That's never fun. Just like the Israelites, they went without food. They were starving to death. Why? Because they give in to sin. Disobedience always attracts. It attracts junk to our lives. It's like a magnet. Obedience also attracts. It attracts blessing, protection. So God, may we be the people today who say, God, we're going to lay it all on the line. Whatever is happening, we're living by faith. And we're going to be obedient. God, may little Gideons rise up in us. Yeah, full of doubts and fear and questions, but also brave enough to test you. Brave enough to say, okay, God, if it's your will, show me. And to leave that door open one, just a little bit so that you, you can come in and radically change us and radically transform us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, wherever you're at, wherever you're listening, I just want to ask you, if you're going through something and you're doubting Him right now and you want Him to come and speak to you and fill you up with love and faith and you need that, in your life right now. Would you, would you raise your hand if you're following us online? Maybe it's time for you to say, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? Yeah, all over the rim. If you feel like that, Alex, I could use a little bit more faith in my life. Would you pray for me? Yeah, hands all over the place. I see the hand. God sees your hand. Would you pray this prayer? It's a simple prayer. God, protect me. Use me. Love me. I need you, Lord. I trust you. In the middle of the doubts, 
I give myself to you. And I believe that the best will come, regardless of the storm today. So I surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand as we worship.